Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. Here is Athea with episode 206, Christ Got Us. So hi everyone, my name is Sophia. I was born and raised in Ghana, um, moved to New York, got married to a wonderful man who lives in Boston. So now I live in Boston. So the Lord has been speaking to me a lot about Naomi. When we think about the book of Ruth, right? We focus on the we focus on Ruth. We don't focus on Naomi. But lately, the Lord has just been speaking to me a lot about Naomi, and I've realized that in many ways, my story is like Naomi. So um, I will intertwine my story with the story of Naomi, and I hope it blesses you. So the book of Ruth starts off. Um, with this beautiful opening, right? It says, In the days when the judges ruled, a severe famine came upon the land. So an, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went into the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Right? So between Bethlehem and Moab, it's literally like, 30 miles. That's it. <laughs> so when the Bible really talks about the locations, it's more about the mindset. It's more about, you know, moving from the place of God into a place where there was no God, right? It talks about moving from a place where God rules into a place where you have many gods that are there. And so why am I bringing in the story of Naomi? Why am I talking about this, right? So when we read about Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, we realize that he was a well-to-do man, right? So he had land, he had property, and then famine happened, and he packed up his family and went into a place where he thought things would be well. And then when they got there, whether it's by divine order or not, he died, and then his sons also died. And then now Naomi was left without anything. So in many ways, just like Naomi, I left, um, I graduated from Dharmic College and went into DC. And I literally had maybe two years of heaven on earth, if you will, right? Sort of like a dream career. I was engaging with ambassadors and engaging with high-powered people and just enjoying DC. And I thought, this is it. I've made it. Like I want to live my life and rule DC and, and be able to mature in my career and one day go and run the UN. And then just like Naomi, the Lord brought me to a place where all of a sudden there's a government shutdown that happened. I lost my job. And for a good one, maybe two or a year and a half, I had nothing. I had nothing. So like Naomi, right, leaving that place of fruitfulness, leaving that place of fruition and going into this destitute place where the things I thought I had, the things that I was relying on, the laurels that I was relying on, none of that was able to sustain me. And I was literally destitute. So Naomi's come to this place where she's lost her husband, lost her two sons, and now has these two daughters-in-laws that she has to deal with, right? And so what does she do? She tells herself, I'm going to return back to Bethlehem. But remember the beginning of what I said, it was not really the location, it's about the mindset. Yes, she's going back to Bethlehem, but she's pretty much saying, I want to go back to my God. I want to go back to that place of intimacy with God, that place where I can look up onto the hill from whence my help cometh from, right? Because I know my help comes from the Lord. So I want to go back to that place. And so in many ways, 
once I also lost the job and all the high life <laughs> of DC and the dream that I was chasing, I moved back home to New York and I went back into my Bethlehem. I went back into searching for the Lord. I served God like nothing. I prayed, I fasted, I just threw myself into God. I probably prayed that two years more than many people were praying their entire life, fasted more than many people were fasting their entire life. Because once again, I was searching, I was trying to find questions. Like I could just imagine Naomi saying, God, why me? Right. The Bible actually did say when she did return to Bethlehem and people were talking, people were saying, oh, is that Naomi? Oh, so I could just imagine what they saw to let them say that, right? Maybe she was leaving and gold and had her outfit all put together and she came back all tatted up and she came back and maybe her hair wasn't done and her nails were not dead. Like she was just all over the place, right? She was a mess. And so they were like, oh, what happened to you? Like, And in many ways, I had people ask me that. What happened to you? What's going on in your life? Like, you, we thought that you would be the successful one coming out of college, coming out of high school. And now you are back to living in your parents' home with nothing. What is your life? And Naomi told everybody, don't call me Naomi, which means beautiful. She said, call me Myra. Oh my God, which means bitter. Because she said, the Lord has dealt with me. I left full and I came back empty. And I can't tell the many times I cried in my room cried, wailed, just like this place of loneliness, this place of dejection, being in that place of failure, wondering, God, why me? I served you faithfully. You know, and it wasn't like I was in D.C. and not doing your will. I was in D.C. and running a youth ministry and leading a dance ministry in church and gathering the youth to do things for you. I was in D.C. and pouring into people and still, God, why? And just like Naomi, right, asking the question of, Lord, you've made me better. I remember one time saying, God, you have failed me. And I could just imagine Naomi saying that. But one of the things that Naomi did that I didn't do was she had hope. Because the Bible says um, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, it says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest field to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it had happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her, her father-in-law, Elimelech. So Naomi is over here, and Ruth is saying, I'm going to go and, and harvest. And she said, yes, go. She's pretty much saying, strive forward. Forget the past. Yes, we didn't have food. Yes, we didn't have all those, all those things. But take a step forward. Like, don't get stuck. Yes, go. Find it. And she said, you know what? May God let people be kind to you. So she still kept her faith in God. The Bible doesn't tell us the number of years it took for them to arrive in Bethlehem, right? And Ruth going out. It doesn't say if it was years, if it was months, if it was a day, if it was two. It doesn't. But somehow, Naomi kept this faith of it could be better. After the uh, chapter one, she never once mentions her husband again. She never once mentions the fact that she lost her two kids. 
Unlike Naomi, I kept dwelling on that. I kept asking God. I dwelled on the pain. I dwelled on the failure. I really thought I had failed. I gave up in that period of letting go and not holding on to faith. I lost my confidence, confidence in, in myself. I remember I would speak the <laughs> this verse, though he slays me, yet will I trust in him, right? In, from the book of Job, I would say it and I would cry. But though I had confidence maybe in God, I lost confidence in myself. You know, the Bible in many ways would say that we need both. You need confidence in God, but you also need confidence in yourself. The Bible would even say that we should come boldly before the throne room of grace. So if you don't have confidence, how do you approach God in boldness? You can't, right? I read Naomi's story and she kept going. She kept hoping. Like Ruth will come back and say, you know, I went and, and this is what I saw. And she would give an advice all the way to the point where Ruth gets married, right? To Boaz. And this verse, like Ruth chapter four kills me. And when I say it, it like in a really good way, right? Because after Ruth gave birth, the people of the town started calling the son, Naomi's son. They didn't call the son Ruth's son. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the baby is Ruth's baby. It doesn't. It actually says, um, this is Ruth chapter 4, verse 17, right? It says, the neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and then the grandfather of David. Nowhere in the Bible did it say Ruth had a son. It said Naomi. And even, I think it's the King James Version that says that Naomi nursed Obed. And I started looking into that and the Hebrew sort of word there was aman. And what that means is literally spiritually nursing, like uh, like spiritually breastfeeding. Right? The Bible would say that when I was a baby, I fed on milk right, to grow. And then when I became an adult, I started eating bones. So the baby, Naomi, started feeding from a spiritual sense with milk. right? And so that is that sort of hope that Naomi had. Naomi had this unshakable belief that God will do it. And you know, the book of Ruth is so interesting because nowhere in the book does it say God did something. But the sovereignty of God is all over the place, but it doesn't specifically say God is doing anything, right? And so in many times, for me, when I look at my life, what happened and now where I'm at, there were moments where I didn't see God <laughs> do something, right? There were many moments where I prayed and, oh my God, I didn't hear anything. There was silence. Many moments where I would empty my bank accounts, I'd go and give it as a seed, thinking that that will move the hand of God. And I will still be faced with the silence of God. But the sovereignty of God is there. And fundamentally, we have to believe that God's sovereignty is real. <laughs> and when he says that he has plans for us that exceeds our imagination, we have to believe that. Because could you imagine that maybe, just maybe, God realized that Naomi had pretty much the seed of Christ in her. But because the husband that she was with didn't have faith enough to stay in Bethlehem during the famine and move to Moab, God was probably like, hmm, this man will not be able to raise the seed of God. And so somehow, you know, took away all the men, but gave Naomi the experiences that would give her the patience to be able to nurse Obed and to be able to raise David and eventually lead to the lineage of Christ. Imagine that. So I think about my life and I'm like, man, 
Now I look back and I look at that experience and that happened to me. And I say, maybe, just maybe I had to go through that so that I now have compassion for people that don't have. Because during that season, I didn't have. My sisters, God bless their lives. They literally became my bank account. My husband now, who I was dating then, became that for me, helped me financially, right? But even beyond that, they literally held me on their feet. I have to share this story. I remember one day I called my pastor at the time and I said, I think I'm going to kill myself. I'm done. I was that depressed. And he was like, why are you going to kill yourself? That makes no sense. Go and listen to a great man of God called Reverend Isfudanaba. And I remember I searched for him online and one of his sermons came up and the sermon is called Fire in My Bones. He was talking about Jeremiah, right? And Jeremiah saying that, God, I want to give up. Like I am ready to give up, but your word is shut up in my bones like fire. So even when I want to give up, the word won't let me go. And that's how I felt. I wanted to give up. I want, I, oh God, I wanted to walk away, but I just couldn't. I felt God calling me deeper, calling me even more, right? And so maybe in that season, like Naomi, right, God needed to plant a seed in me so that now I can be doing what I'm doing now under such a great man of God that I serve as a Stephen Aite in Faith Fellowship, right? I can be doing that and do it in, from a place where grace is made available for me to do it. So maybe, just maybe, I don't know, but just maybe, I needed to go through that pain to birth out a fire for somebody that I'm impacting now. In that same vein, when I think about Naomi, I think about how I don't know what people go through and what people, whoever is going to listen to this, what they're going through in this season. But if we can just look at Naomi's life and say, no matter what I'm going through now, maybe there is a seed of Christ in me that I need to learn something so that I can feed that seed. I can feed it so that once again, I can have a son. And I have to believe, I just have to believe it, that when Isaiah says, that we have to forget the past and behold, right? And there's this period of beholding the future, beholding what God is about to do. And I have to tell you, I have to be honest to your listeners that it wasn't until maybe sometime last year that I finally stopped looking at the past and started beholding the future for my life. For me, it took about four years of finally letting go Finally saying, God, you know, I can't look at my past anymore. And I know the future is bright and I'm ready to behold that future. My testimony is one that is rid of lots of pain. I can't tell you the number of pain from experiences I've been through. I've been through abuse before. I've struggled with self-esteem issues. I've struggled with body issues. I have been a size four. I've been a size 16. I have gone through the gamut. I have struggled with feelings of inadequacy. I have struggled with, you know, anything that anybody can think about. But I look at the kind of confidence that is rooted in God's joy right now. And I can say that our God is faithful. And I can say that like Naomi, no matter what bitter experience that you think you're going through now, there will come a moment that once again, you will have a son. If only you are able to behold the future that God has for you. If only you are able to forget the past. If only you are able to just say, God, I am striving for something more. 
And I know, and I'm trusting in your sovereignty that it may be bitter right now, <laughs> but you have promised me a future. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And it says that, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all sufficiency, you will abound in every good work, right? And so in the work of forgetting, you need grace for that. And so you have to ask God, you have to say, God, I know I'm going through this thing that is very painful. And I'm not saying everything is well in my life. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is I have seen God take me from such a place of emotional destitution and bring me to a place of such confident joy that I can now stand on that and say, I can now see a future where the dreams that he's given me, the prophetic declaration, I can see them happening because I have seen the transformation that he's done in my life, right? And so the grace of forgetting, I pray that for people and I pray that people will actually trust God and ask him, give me the grace to forget, give me the grace to not hold on to the pain, but be more like Naomi, where in my chapter one, I can talk about losing my son, losing my sons <laughs> and losing my husband. But when I shift to my chapter two, chapter three and chapter four, I'm talking about how do I advise my daughter-in-law to go and get a husband? And through that, God is going to see my heart of service. And as I serve my daughter-in-law through my advice and through my willingness to open up my heart again, God will give me a son and that son will be the seed of Christ. And I have to believe that. And so, yeah, so that's my testimony. And I hope it bless people. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, wow. So I guess the first question I have for you is, so okay, so what would you say is the biggest difference in your relationship with God, like before you lost your career? And then like after that, as you were like mourning that, what do you think is the biggest difference in like your walk with God? I think it's more intentionality, but it's also greater intimacy. I think before I knew him, okay, Holy Spirit, I'll share this. I remember vividly at eight years old, um, we were in Ghana and my mom had a store in one of the marketplaces and she had gone to work and she came back and I heard so clearly God saying, when your mom comes home, pray over her money. And I was eight, it was weird. And I remember... And when my mom came, I told her and my mom actually went along and all the money that she had received, she gave it to me and I actually prayed over it. And I think that that intimacy, right, that hearing and yearning for God's voice, somehow as I grew up and as I matured and all of those things, maybe I wasn't as aware of it as I needed to be. So after the going through that period, what happened was in the place of prayer, in the place of separation and isolation, it came back again. I now can hear, I believe God a bit more than I used to. And now I'm more intentional about cultivating that. So I'm intentional about my midnight prayers. <laughs> I'm intentional about helping others pray. One of my heart desires is actually at some point I pray that God would grant me the grace and the platform to be able to have a prayer ministry just for young girls. 
and not just young girls as in like teenagers, but just girls in general, like women in general, and just like lead women to just pray. That's one of my heart desires. I have seen that there's so much power when we are able to advocate for ourselves, right? And I look at the Bible and I think of the daughters of Zelophehad, right? Who at that time, there was no precedent, but they still went to Moses and they said, yo, what you're telling me doesn't make sense. You better go back to your God and tell your God. And God was like, pause. Yes, the women are right. I am going to change the laws because they make sense, right? And so I look at that and I'm like, okay, there is so much power. If we are able to break down the contentions, we're able to break down the Biden, the, you know, the competitions and all of that and really come together and intercede for one another and surround each other in prayer, we will see women explode. And so that's one of the, that's one of my desires. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So it sounded like you were saying that you had to be intentional to, in order to start like hearing or either discerning like the voice of God more clearly. You were kind of like wrapped up in your career and it was hard to like make the time or you just weren't intentional about making the time to hear from God. Um, So can you just talk a, a little bit about like practically about how to like manage like that work-life balance and then like having quiet time. Cause yeah, a lot of times we're so busy that it's like, well, you're never going to hear from God because you do this activity, then you do this, then you do that. And there's like no time. So just, can you talk a little bit practically about like how we can implement that so that we can hear from yeah. God? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I think yesterday, um, my first lady said something about you have to schedule your life around God and not the other way (laughs) so that would be the first thing please schedule your life around God but for me as a mother of a toddler now and a professional with you know increasingly um, greater responsibilities at work and management and a husband and (laughs) so many (laughs) other responsibilities at church what I have found is to block off a time you know, and as I'm saying this, I am reminded of a statement that Maya Angelou said. She said that there has to be a place in your heart that only God reside and you have to protect that. Another great man of God said that you protect everything else. You you have a protection for your home. You have a protection for your car. Like you don't protect anything else, but you don't protect the things that feed your soul. So you have to find your time and you protect it. So when I say I'm passionate about my midnight prayers, I am like, I know that I need to go to bed by nine so that 11, I can wake up and get ready to pray. Like that is very dear to me. So I don't stay on the phone past nine unless my mom really need me to stay on the phone or for something. Um, Or my husband need me to talk about something. But beyond that, now I've gotten to the point where I am confident in myself and confident in my relationship with God that I don't care who you are. By night, I need to go. I don't do, like, I am very, very careful and I protect that space where I'm like, okay, I need to nap so that I can wake up at 11 and spend time with the Lord, right? That comes from knowing that if I don't pray, I don't build and I don't gain, right? And so I want to be able to hear from God, but I want him to also hear from me. I now know that it's a relationship. And so I need to spend time talking. There are times that I <laughs> I wake up and instead of praying, I'm listening to worship. And I am, there's, I think last week <laughs> I went to pray and I just ended up literally like 
dancing. I had like my, I had a cloth and I was just like praise dancing <laughs> and praise dancing and praise, <laughs> and praise dancing it all over the place, right? So practically is you have to be intentional. The word comes back at you have to be intentional. And so if your time is 3 a.m., if your time is 2 p.m., if your time is 6 p.m., please just like put it on your calendar and block it. You know, Apostle Joshua Selman says that God takes serious people seriously. You know, so if you are serious with him, he'll be serious with you. So if you are going to tell God that, Lord, I 3 a.m. is my time with you, that's an appointment. I have heard great men of God say that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So if you give him an appointment, he will not be late. He will show up. But are you ready to show up? And because he's a gentleman, he's not going to do this ad hoc thing, right? So there is a place where sometimes we are busy and, you know, we, we have to do 2 a.m. one day, maybe 3 p.m. Like, yeah, but as you mature, I think God expects us to have a more dedicated time with him so that he can literally meet us, right? And so for me, there are times I'm like, oh, okay, the Lord is waiting for me in my prayer room. I need to go, right? And so is the Lord physically waiting? In my heart of heart, I believe that he is. And so I need to go and spend time with him. So whatever it is, right? But that intentionality and that understanding that I have an appointment with divinity. And so no human being is more important than that appointment. And I'm going to block off everything to make sure that gets done. And I think when God's beginning to see your seriousness, grace will be made available for you to be consistent. So in that verse that I quoted before from Hebrews 4, 16, when it says, come boldly before the throne of grace so that you may receive grace and mercy in your time of need. I do believe that that boldness, it's also seriousness. And so when we begin to show a bit of seriousness, grace and mercy will be made available for us. And so now you are thinking, oh, wow, a week has gone by and I haven't missed my prayer time. Two weeks have gone by and I haven't missed it. And you're thinking that you are doing it. No, God has made grace available so that you can come and pray with him. So in a snapshot, I would say that be intentional, schedule your time around God and literally know that that time that you've blocked off is more important than any time with any human being. Because after all, what can a human being do for you? So, so, so choose a time with God um, over any time with a human being. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love Apostle Joshua Selman too. Um, he said, I, I, I'm so obsessed. Oh my God, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> Yay! Oh, that is my guy. Um, I'm determined to go to Nigeria and see him in person, but that's a whole other story. Um, but um, he said, an attack on your prayer life is a real attack. And like, when he said that, I was like, oh God, like, <laughs> cause yeah, it's so easy to see like things like losing a career or like natural things. We see that as, oh, that's a spiritual attack, but it's like, but then we don't see like the lack in our prayer life as like a real thing to be concerned about. Like we don't pray Absolutely. like for the grace to help me pray. It's like, God, help me get this job or God help me. The devil's attack. He's still in everything. Like help me with this. But it's like, no. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what's funny? Yes, even today I was talking to my sister, my little sister Benoit, and I was telling her that, you know, I have come to the place in my life that I need to make money, I need to be wealthy. And that's because I want to buy the flashy things. I don't care for it. Like my nature is not that. But because I want to redeem my time, because yesterday I realized something. I woke up, went downstairs to our basement to pray, and after maybe 30 minutes of praying, I started thinking about work. Before an hour was up, which is normally not my posture in prayer, 
I was ready to like close prayer and go and continue working because I didn't finish my projects in the day. And so I was like, oh my God, I do not want work to begin to transition and move itself into my prayer life because I'm thinking I need to meet a deadline and now my mind is so focused on there and so I was like you know what I need to get to a place where I free myself from that space where I can spend more time with God because I truly enjoy spending time with the Lord right and so I think that as you were saying that that attack on our prayer life sometimes that's a spiritual attack sometimes it's honestly we allowing ourselves to be so busy. And I've been there where because of a lack of self-esteem, a lack of feeling like if I say no, somehow I will lose people or people won't like me or whatever it is. We say yes and we become the yes man. And then we are so burdened that now what is being impacted is your prayer life, your work study, your spending time with your family. Like you start to cut somewhere to meet the needs of the people, right? And so Aside from the spiritual attack on your prayer life, I think we have to be a little bit more intentional also about what else are we allowing to interfere in our prayer space. So now I'm like, okay, God, you know what? You said you give me the great, the power to make wealth. I understand that is not for showmanship, but it's because it will free my time up to spend more time with you. Totally submitted. And I want that. So now I'm chasing after the thing that, I thought <laughs> work will bring me, but I'm chasing that from a place where it's truly rooted in God because I needed to spend more time with God so that I'm not focused on the work. So I, want, I, I just felt like sharing that because I think we often as Christians, especially Pentecostal Christians, we tend to reach for the spiritual stuff and leave everything else. Everything is about, oh yeah, spiritual attack. But no, sometimes it's not an attack. Sometimes it's you and your desires interfering with, with your prayer lives. So you have to be honest with yourself. Like, what are the things that you need to be able to be effective in prayer? Some people, they need worship. If it is, please make sure you always have worship in your place of prayer. If it, you know that you need to have quietness, make sure that you are in a place where you are not distracted, right? If you know that you need to pray in a place where it's darkness, why are you watching TV and trying to pray? That, like, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, God knows how to reach you and the way he will reach you is different from how he reached me. My husband and I have a very different prayer life. Like, he is like deep. I want to just speak quietly and pray and I'm like demon where are you I am coming after you blah 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 and I don't I, I can't tell you the number of times he would say <laughs> he would call me while I'm praying at midnight and be like I can hear you MJ's awake can you please tone down and I'm like you just messed up with my blow I was about to kill a demon mm. um right <laughs> so, and so you know like it's just it's just that like you need to know and you need to also learn and be systematic, right, about what are the things that you need around you to be effective in prayer. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, being intentional and like blocking out your life around God. I think we'll just kind of end with just like an overall main point that you would want them to take away from hearing your story on today. God is faithful. And the faithfulness of God, sometimes it doesn't appear in the way that we expect to see it. And it doesn't mean that God is not faithful. If we go back to the Naomi story, right? Maybe faithfulness, Naomi would have said, your faithfulness would have been you giving me a husband um, so that I can have a son, right? That's God's faithfulness, like he has done it for me. And so for me, now I look back and I'm like, God, even throughout that period, you were faithful because you surrounded me with sisters who are willing to 
gift be? You surrounded me with a boyfriend, a partner at the time, who was willing to be both an emotional and financial support. And so, yes, I was struggling, but you were faithful in this space, right? And so I challenge all of us to sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and show us how faithful God has been in our lives. I think if God was to maybe open up, for me especially, if God was to show me how faithful he's been, I think I would be blown because my life is such a compendium of graces. So when I think about the graces that I'm surrounded by, I see God's faithfulness in there. So no matter how I go through stages and and places and moments and where I question if God is around, Somehow, one of these people that I'm surrounded with, they would speak a word of hope to me and it will encourage me, right? And so I share that because I think we have to allow God to use the people around us to build us up because God is not going to come from heaven to meet our need, right? When you are in this place and you're praying for an answer, a solution to a problem, know that God is going to bring you somebody. And if you don't have the spiritual agility and discernment to be able to recognize that this new person that God is bringing me is for X, right? You may not even allow them to function in their grace and all that. So um, my pastor, Pastor Steve, says something about we have to acknowledge the graces on each other's lives and be able to tap into all those graces. And so you are graced for a purpose, but also just like you are graced, somebody else is graced for a purpose. And you have to allow and open up yourself for that person's grace to work in you, right? But we have to realize that we are all in a relay race. One person's grace will be to hear from God and another person's grace will be to go take what is heard from God and go and deliver, you know. And so as all of us allow the grace to come to play, the beauty and the magnificence of God will be on display. I leave with this one last thing of asking God for that discernment of knowing, God, what graces have you surrounded me with? And give me the confidence in my own grace so that I can allow them to function. Give me that confidence so that I can sit back and I want to be a jack of all trades, but I can let everybody else play their part because as they do that, you, God, will be magnified. And that is the goal, God being magnified every single day of every single moment. So, yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, I hope I'm not impeding on your prayer time. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. But please, please, please. One thing I would say is do follow uh, my church because my pastors are awesome and they push out some amazing content. Faith Fellowship MA. So definitely follow us on Faith um, Fellowship MA. Yeah, Faith Fellowship MA on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And of course, follow my pastors, Pastor Stephen Aite, as well. We are in a very weird season, right? But just like God said, in the Bible would say that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. We have to understand that as we think the world is <laughs> becoming more sinful, God's grace <laughs> is becoming 
even more so, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to tap into that grace. We have to shine the love of God like never before. We have to shine the kindness of God like never before. We have to shine the beauty of God, the meekness of God like never before. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength and the control. And we have to be able to let the world know that Christians stand for something that is powerful, that is beyond anything that we've ever seen. We are not weak, we are not imbeciles, but we stand for a God who is still faithful, who is merciful, above all, he's sovereign, he's powerful, and he has the power to change any destiny, right? And that should be our message, that message of restoration, that message of peace, that message of hope, that message that will take somebody from, I want to go and blow up the world and say, you know what, I'm about to kneel down before God, like, that should be the boldness of Christians. And so if I can just say a prayer over everyone, I would just pray that God will grant us the boldness that he gave the apostles in the book of Acts. I pray for all of us that we will walk in such boldness that signs and miracles will just follow us. And, and when I say signs and miracles, I'm not talking that we will all go around and, you know, um, eyes will be open or ears will be open. And if that happens, we thank God. But signs and miracles in, in the workforce, right? So if you are in law, like you are, you are really challenging conventions and advocating for the marginalized, just like Jesus would. You know, if you're in the health field, standing in the face of COVID, just like Jesus would, and, and, and praying and using all the wisdom that you have, right? If you are like me and you work in uh, inclusion and diversity, like really having the boldness to advocate for people, having the grace to be able to listen and to be able to challenge systems in corporate America so that it can change and it can create room for brown and uh, black people like myself, right? And so wherever you find yourself, if you are in engineering, right, God exploding your mind with such ideas that you will really begin to bring the divinity of heaven onto this earth. So I pray for that explosion over all of us, right? That we will really become a force to be reckoned with because there will come a day, and I believe it, that every knee will bow down at the mention of the name of Jesus. And I I just pray that it will start with us, that that revival in our generation, we will see it and we will be part of it. And we can say, I did my part, right? I want all of us to be able to say, I did my part um, in this revival. And so be empowered, know that Christ is still on the throne. We are not defeated, but we are victors. We will be victors to the end of days. Christ got us. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. Although I was not participating in the lifestyle, I was not doing any of those things. I still struggled with my identity and with being secure as a man. So I was banking my security on pleasing my wife, becoming a father and having children. I found out I could not have children. And so that sent me down a spiral of secret depression.